This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle Earth. Tirith, the beacons are lit. Lotro calls for aid. And Brog shall answer. Amon Dean, welcome to Light the Beacons, Lotro podcast focusing on the addictive MORPG, Lord of the Rings Online, as well as related topics in books, movies, gaming, and the lore of J.A.R.R. Tolkien. This is episode number 11, and I'm your host, Brag of the Lonely Mountain. Eriador, Cortographile, and Dwarf of Ill Repute. Back after a week's time, all those thinking or hoping that I had quit after a mere ten episodes were incorrect. I have always had aspirations of entering my second decade of content. Hey, a milestone. Uh, MMO players like milestones, right? They like grinding, like achieving things. Perhaps this means something. Perhaps I can reflect and learn from my mistakes. Perhaps it's time I took a look back at what I've accomplished to date smelled the roses, and sat on my laurels. Nah, what is this, the Spring Festival? I'm a dwarf. I've got stuff to kill. Perhaps it's time to get on with it, so let's light our second beacon. Let's review our agenda this week. First of all, we have some retractions. Uh, From what I've heard, Sapiens is not planning to get the tattoo on his inner right uh, his inner thigh much to my chagrin um, however could my song parody of last week be a rallying cry for the Lotro community to lobby for it I mean sapience it's for the kids come on uh, you know I think uh, you owe us one there so um, aside from that we have a few viewer comments Zingor said uh, well done well done and he uh, held a lit Gondor beacon over his head swaying just as if he was at Weatherstock um, I heard from Braggenthorn on Gladden must be a long lost cousin um, I don't know about the Enthorn I guess it works for him Braggenthorn says like your podcast man you did steal part of my dwarf's name uh, he wants to give a shout out to the Storm Crusaders who says they're good folks he was a past listener of CSTM as well as Lotro Reporter and Lotro Players and encourages me to keep poking fun at the man. Be well and good luck. Thank you very much, Bragg and Thorn. Appreciate that. And lastly, Tommy Oric said, uh, Bragg, he wants to steal my lyrics for the next Ales and Tales. This is approved. Please let me know uh, when that is. I'd love to come and show up. I haven't been to Ales and Tales in a while, but I have enjoyed it every time I've gone. Um, he also mentioned that uh, my podcast has become progressively more quiet in terms of volume level. So I was adjusting some settings last week. Some of you may have noticed that I redid my intro to be in stereo. Hopefully it's not quite as acerbic to the ears as it was previously. Uh, so I might have messed with my settings a little bit. Um, so I'll double check those and hopefully the volume this week is back to an acceptable level. But please do let me know. Rarely has this dwarf been accused of speaking too softly. 
So in this week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in game this week. We're going to discuss some special locations. No, we're not. That was last week. What are we doing this week again? Uh, oh, yeah. We're going to have a special segment on live-action, in-game, high-end crafting. That sounds thrilling. Uh, we're also going to, to show there's some substance to the podcast, as well as Bombast, we'll have a philosophical internal debate I call The Closet Gamer, A Study in Duality. And lastly, if there's any time remaining, we'll talk to Lindsay Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac. As always, there's much to talk about, so let's light our third beacon. This week in Lotro. Uh, well, first we'll talk about the stuff that no one cares about right now. That's uh, my champion in the North Downs. Um, I did mess about a little bit on him. He achieved level 34. So still slightly overleveled for the content around there. Um, most of the mobs are green or blue, but uh, you know the uh, experience and understanding some of the changes in the zone is more along the lines of what I'm interested in at this point. Um, I did notice, this is kind of interesting, there are uh, some additional bounty quests posted in Estelden. So, Estelden. so this is um, a technique you may remember that they first I first encountered in the game in Ostfarad. Uh, where they would have billboards scattered around town, and there'd be uh, glowing pieces of paper tacked up where you could track down some ne'er-do-well uh, for a reward. So this is the first time I've seen those in, in Esteldin. Esteldin? 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 I always say Esteldin, or Esteldin, but uh, don't write in. Please don't give me the pronunciation. I don't want to know. Um, but if you head east from the stable guy through the kind of connecting passage into the area where Halbrad is, uh, they're on the right-hand side on the wall. And I missed them the first few times I ran through there because certainly I wasn't looking for them. Uh, but I do like the bounty quest system. Um, I know that they have used it in the expansion, I believe, as well in a few places. Uh, you know, I think it's uh, nice to have a few of those scattered around to provide some variety. So that was welcome. Uh, lastly, I spent some time up in Othrakar, I didn't see a lot of change in the quests that were up there. Um, I did go do the quest that takes you to the Dwarf Foreman, kind of northwest of Othrakar. Uh, you've got to steal back um, a set of plans from him. And uh, I believe he used to be a pather that used to move back and forth between a camp and an area kind of northwest up into the trees. And if you were attacking the little tents there, he would come down and surprise you and maybe overwhelm you because obviously you weren't expecting an elite at that level. Um, so now they've kind of stabilized him and he's just sitting in front of the tents. So um, I would say I'm against that change. Uh, I liked the fact that he would uh, appear suddenly when you weren't expecting him. Having him sedentary uh, doesn't have quite as much excitement for me. That uh, to me is dumbing down just for the sake of dumbing down. Uh, they did have more remote quest um, remote quest bestowals in this area, again, uh, which is a, something that I think has been effective and that I liked. Uh, I went and saved Dory, um, of course, which is uh, an area for some classes in the past, at least on level, that I've had issue with, just because, uh, not, not for fear of dying myself, but for fear of killing all the mobs before they would kill Dory. Uh, for some of the less DPS-heavy classes, if you were under-level or at-level, that was a little bit of a concern. Uh, not much of an issue, though, on an over-level champ. And um, 
there was also a quest up there I remember where you discovered a map to the Father Load, which is a, a bunch of ore northwest of the uh, town there that the dwarves were hoping to refine after having lost it to antiquity. And uh, when you do find the map, it's written in Elvish. And uh, I do remember originally you had to travel, you had to, it said you, you have to find someone who knows Elvish to translate for you. And that required travel down to the Elven outpost uh, on the southern North Downs called Meluin, Meluinin, Meluinin. Um, and it looks like they've removed that. And now you just basically, a bunch of quest strings light up around Authorcar and you have to walk around and find a dwarf who knows Elvish, like there's a lot of those lying around usually. Um, and eventually, if you ask the right guy, you'll find someone who can translate it. So a little bit of mixed feelings on this one. I understand why they're doing it. They don't want to um, have you traveling unnecessarily and wasting time. But if you hadn't been to Millenween yet, this is a good way to get introduced. Um, I, I never had a problem traveling down there. Uh, yeah, so a little bit of mixed feelings. Uh, you know, I think it doesn't make as much sense just to talk to a dwarf that can translate it. It was kind of neat to show that the the races were working together and banding together to fight against the North Downs um, and getting the help from the elves where they actually reside. But uh, but I understand what they're doing in terms of preventing you know cross zone uh, travel required for a simple quest. So I suppose we can live with it. So what's Bragg been doing in game? Uh, Bragg has reached level 100. Those of you who listened to Lotro, uh, Lotro Reporter last week may have heard me click on um, click on an NPC to turn in a quest and turn level 99. 100 uh, did not, uh, was not far behind. Um, I know a lot of people have been talking about whether the new zone contains enough quest experience to level to 100, uh, you know, and whether that's an issue like it's been in some zones in the past, and Dunland is the one that comes to mind. So when I uh, finished all the quests in Dol Amroth, and I had not yet reached 100, obviously, so I, the dailies, aside from the fishing quest and the training exercise, were not available to me yet. Uh, I was at level 99 with one bar shy of 100, basically. Uh, so I felt that was pretty good balance. Uh, I have to say, I did take down maybe, I'd say maybe four or five warbands across the landscape during the course of leveling, and I didn't turn in tasks religiously, but I did do it whenever I felt I had a stack of more than like 20 or 30 or something. Uh, you know, the task stations were were pretty scattered out the towns pretty well, so it was pretty easy to turn those in. And I'd heard people talking about maybe falling short, so I was a little little more mindful about turning in tasks than I normally would be, but you know, not obsessive about it. Um, and I ended up at 99 in one bar, so uh, I can't remember what I did to turn 100 after that, whether I ran a warband or just did a, a quick skirm. Um, one would think it would be... Um, you know, stuck in my mind. Level 100 is quite a milestone. But uh, but I thought the quest uh, XP was pretty well balanced. Of course, uh, I do have a lifetime account, so I do get uh, VIP blue XP enhancements on my bar on a daily basis. And I'm sure that folks that don't have that available to them uh, might have fallen quite a bit shorter. Uh, but all in all, decent balance, I thought. You know, for someone to run maybe an instance or two, or a skirmish or two, a couple war bands, and and hit the mark. So, a um, couple notes about questing around Western Gondor. 
Uh, first of all, I have to say, I, I think I talked in the first episode about some of the first towns I found in Blackroot Vale. And since I spoke with you last, I reached uh, the first major town I reached, I felt that really felt like Gondor was Calumbell. And, you know, it was a big enough town that, um, that uh, you know, I took a turn or two the wrong way and got lost momentarily. And the structures were of stone with, uh, you know, obviously uh, carvings lost in, in, you know, from history and so forth. And I was like, you know, you know what? The other towns were neat. They were, you know, piled on the hillsides and wooden villages and stuff. But now we're in Gondor. This is Gondor, Gondorian architecture. And it felt good to see that. Um, so, you know, shades of what was to come, obviously, later in the zone. Uh, I didn't remark to myself that the music that I'd heard so far around Gondor, I felt was a step up from, uh, a step up maybe from what I'd heard in Western Rohan or in the Western Net. So I really appreciated, first of all, just the change in pace and tone, uh, which was important. If you're going to do music for a new zone, it's a new history, it's a new feeling around the countryside. Um, it should have a different tone than what's going on in Rohan, which is a very different story. So I think they got that right. Um, you know, I felt like it spoke of the history and strength uh, of Gondor compared to the mournful French horns of Rohan. So it felt good. Um, I haven't heard enough of it yet to really have formed a, a full opinion. Yeah, obviously it's not Chance Thomas, but um, but uh, so far so good. Uh, and uh, I'll try to pay more attention to it in the coming weeks. And if there's a piece that really catches my ear and I like, I'll let you know about it. Uh, so adventuring across Western Gondor, you know, one of the one of the things I love about the zone, and I'm not just saying this because of my podcast, uh, looking across the horizon and seeing the lit bacons lined up, uh, the lit beacons. I didn't say, did I say bacon? Might have been. I'm a dwarf. Some bacon sounds pretty good right now. But seeing the lit beacons uh, around the countryside that you can view from multiple vantage points is pretty epic. Uh, I, I love that touch. Um, I think it kind of adds, you know, an extra dimension to the landscape. Um, the beacons are done very well in terms of how they're, you know, artistically rendered. Uh, they look cool. You can see the smoke and flame on the horizon. And if, if you're standing in the right spot, some, sometimes you can see two or, or even three of them lined up um, if you have your graphics set up high enough. And uh, that's a neat touch. So I'm enjoying that. Um, one of the highlights I have to mention is the Cave of the Avorum just south of um, uh, Ed Helion. Um, you know, so I walked into that cave expecting it to go back, you know, maybe 100 feet or so and end in a little, uh, end in a little area where the elves would be sequestered. And, uh, you know, it kept going and it kept going and it kept going. And then it opened up way bigger than expected and um you know the vista as you walk into the larger cave uh bravo um really pretty in there um i hope that the story will bring us back there uh significantly more than the initial epic did just because it's a beautiful area they, they obviously spent a lot of time on it and you go in there for like one quest and leave so I hope there'll be reason for us to return there. I, I expect there will be. I, I can't imagine they would have spent that much time on it if there wasn't. Uh, so it would be interesting to see how the Avorum fit into the overall storyline for the region. You know, if we move on to Prologir, are they really going to send us back to Dol Amroth multiple times? I would expect at least once or twice. So maybe we'll have some things to do there before we move on to the new zone. Uh, one tip for, for Turbine. Um, 
can you let us ride a goat in there maybe uh the tunnel's actually really long to get back out to the landscape uh we've got these goats come on let us ride the goats um but seeing elves underground a little strange remind me of the uh the drow from dungeons and dragons but uh didn't see any dark elves in attendance so hopefully we're good um Another highlight that I mentioned, as, as I'm questing around at Helion, it was my first exposure to seeing kind of the mo motion, uh, how they graphically rendered the sea. And uh, I like how the foam kind of laps up against the shorelines. Uh, it's different. Uh, I sure wish they could figure out a way to show waves lapping up against the coast. That would have been, um, you know, kind of special to see, but... I can understand how that might not be in the budget. It would be pretty specialized to have something like that and probably a strain on some people's graphics. But uh, as I'm walking around at Helion, I did jump off the end of the boat and swim out to one of the little um, rocks sticking up out of the ocean. And as I'm swimming through the bay, I, I flipped over to my back and looked up at the stars and there's, there's seagulls flying around uh, during a moonlight swim in the Bay of Belfalas and it was beautiful, really well done. Love the seagulls. Uh, love the echoes of the seagulls. Um, obviously, they've listened to Tolkien's comments about Tolkien's comments about uh, the elves hearing the call of the sea and, and made sure that was prominent. So, uh, eventually, I did ride into Dol Amroth. And, uh, you know, I know I'm late to the game on this, but wow, it is beautiful. They did a fantastic job. I heard a couple people comment that, you know, it might have been overdone in some areas. I, I didn't really feel that. Um, you know, I do feel they're setting themselves up to have to try to top that when they uh, when they get to Minas Tirith. People are going to be expecting it to be bigger and better in a lot of different ways. So that'll be interesting. Uh, you know, they set a pretty high bar for themselves. Um, if they wanted to be a little more realistic, I think they could have. You know, much like they did in Bree, they could have had kind of a you know a mudgate kind of part of the town where it's not quite as affluent or not quite as uh, beautifully wrought and you know had some of the more panhandly type people hanging around even the docks look like you know kingly so um not a lot of uh, poverty obviously in dal amroth some wealthy folks about and the swan knights uh, probably eat pretty well um so as i'm moving through the epic uh the last quest line spoiler alert shadow of morthond uh, you know, it's the kind of the capstone for the first book, it seems like, um, where you run up against one of the uh, Nazgul who's endangering Aragorn's quest by perhaps espying him uh, with his army of the dead. Um, so this guy's on Nazgul flying around over western Gondor and he missed a giant ghost army that's kind of sweeping across the landscape. I don't know, maybe they were hiding in caves or something at the time, but... In any event, um, yeah, those guys, they see by smell, right? They must be pretty blind. Um, so uh, at the time, I was level 99, and there is a time limit on the quest uh, to, beat down the, uh, to beat down the Nazgul. And I'm a guard who doesn't have very good DPS, obviously, and I finished the quest with three minutes to spare. So not much challenge there i would have liked it if they'd made it uh you know a little closer in terms of the timing i know they're trying to make it easy so everyone can get through but um but i think uh, they made it a little too easy uh you know something under you know where they could have timed it where the worst dps classes had maybe less than a minute to spare or at least close would have been a bit more challenging 
I did uh, listen to another podcast. I think it was Lotro Players where uh, people were remarking about going in there and fellowship and uh, getting their tans hide, um, getting their hides tanned, I should say. Um, so apparently, uh, apparently the Nazgul does hit pretty hard in a, in a fellowship instance. So looking into gearing up a little bit and maybe trying that with the group at some point in time. It would be cool to see that. And I'm wondering if perhaps his fell beast might enter the fray when you have uh, more than a single player in there, because in a solo part of the instance he did not. He just kind of sat by the side and checked things out after we snuck by him. Uh, so th uh, I imagine that might be uh, part of the fellowship challenge, but um, not sure. We'll see. Um, another area I wanted to comment that I really liked: uh, the coast, the southern coast, south of Dol Amroth bring up a map real quick so it's the Corsair landing that's south of the city and I believe it's called Hashadir yes Hashadir and uh, I thought this area was really well done uh, one of the most exciting things I did was uh, take the boat out to do the ship-to-ship -ship battles that was a nice touch I liked being out on the ships um, was not expecting that and that was fun kind of a change of pace um, I, I will note that I wanted to see what would happen if I jumped off the boat and whether I'd be able to swim back to the shore from that far out. And I can, re I can report that you can. So um, in case you care for a, a, a swim in the Bay of Belflash, you can jump overboard in the Pirates and swim to shore. doesn't take that long. Um, was kind of fun. And so, um, yeah, I must be a pretty good swimmer to be out there with my heavy armor and shield and axe and so forth. But uh, we, we dwarves are... You know, not born to the sea, but we are hardy. So uh, the other thing that was kind of funny out there I'd note is, at least on Vilia, <laughs> when I was down there, uh, came back for some of the daily quests later, and note, came upon uh, kind of a Loremaster conclave. Uh, they were having what I like to call a Bog Guardian Clambake. So what happened was um, I came down to the area, and every grouping where there were Corsairs that were spawning, uh, that were spawning had at least two LMs, LMs that were sitting there with Bog Guardians. So across the whole area, there might have been maybe 12 or 14 of them total, each with Bog Guardians all parked next to a spawning point. And as soon as the Corsair spawned, the Bog Guardians, of course, would attack and take them down. So uh, I thought it was some kind of kin event early on. I put out a call in the, the chat just to like point it out to people and ask what was going on. And um, eventually we arrived at the conclusion that it was probably some kind of gold spamming uh, event so somehow somebody leveled up geez, 12 level 100 LMs and you know just move them around to different areas and, and farm gold and move it off to different accounts so um, more power to them it was kind of interesting to see at least um Lastly, I wanted to note, uh, as I was motoring around Dull Amroth, um, it's going to take a little bit of getting used to to find your way everywhere you want to go, but I am getting the hang of it now, I'd have to say. And there is one um, feature in the landscape that I think is kind of amusing. Uh, the gateway. So if you're down in the, the dock area, there's a long stairway that leads up and goes through, uh, I think it's Inzibel's Walk, um, and it connects to the uh, Court of the Fountain. And if you're coming from the other way, from Inzibel's Walk, out there's a landing, uh, and the stairs go down to the left. And if you go straight ahead, there's a giant precipice with no railing that leads all the way down to the stone floor of the dock area. 
And the first time I ran through there, I almost went right over the cliff. I, I double tapped on my war steed and came to a rest probably an inch from the edge and looked straight down and went, whoa, whoa, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> so even when I run through there, knowing it's there, you know, with war steeds and lags, there's always a danger that, uh, that you might run into trouble there, and um, I imagine that if I had more time and I sat at the bottom, I sat at the bottom of the stairs there, I imagine you could sit there and watch the horses come out rocketing over the cliff, and it's far enough to kill you. So um, I don't know if that was done intentionally, not to put some kind of railing there or barrier, but uh, but I have a feeling I'm going to go over that cliff at least once, and maybe you can let me know if you have too. Um, Apart from that, I have moved on to the daily quests that are in the Court of the Fountain. Uh, I haven't explored the depths of that system fully, but I just wanted to get going with it so I could start to obviously build up rep and start the grind. Uh, so far, so good. Um, there are some fishing quests in there in Calumbell. Those are okay, but I hope I don't have to do them a lot. So I ran the Salmon and the Turtles one with no problem. Uh, I ran one called a Ball of Fish twice. And I, I think I have to look up and see if this one might be bugged because I'm in the area and it tells me the ball of fish is risen and that I have, uh, what, a minute 45 or two minutes to bring up three of them or fish. And uh, every time I cast my pull on, I come up with weeds or a, a skeleton head or a rusted dagger, you know, the usual junk or even a fish. But don't get credit for the type of fish that they're looking for. So. You know, I remember when they had these quests in Eastern Rohan, there were little tricks to the fishing quest that once you learned it was really easy, but I might have to read up and figure out what I'm doing wrong on that one because it's a pain in the neck to run out of the timer and have to go reactivate the quest. Um, and there's another one where you have to find some worms around Calumbell and then fish in an area that's close by. And I found the worms, but uh, I'm inside the quest area as indicated on the radar and um, not pulling up the fish for some reason. So, again, I think uh, maybe the radar is not highlighting the right area and I might have to search around where to pull up the fish. But that's a little bit annoying, so hopefully I'll get those figured out. Uh, some of the daily quests send you back to Hashadir. I like those. That's a good area. It's close by, easy to get to. And I did some of the dailies that sent me out to the two islands, Tall Fennis and Tall Annual. Those are a nice change of pace. It's kind of cool to be off the shoreline and looking back at Dull Amroth across the water. Uh, as mentioned elsewhere, I like the little mechanic where the Corsairs were actually fight the maddened bears <laughs> on the island. Uh, they react to each other, which I think is interesting. Um, you can wait for two of them to about kill each other and then one in and do some AOE and get credit for both at the same time if you have the crest. crest quests quests and uh, I did run the feast of drakes which is the mini three man uh, where you run out to the island to take on a couple mobs which I soloed and then um, called for help in chat because uh, I was told that it's not a soloable event and it turned out it was not two drake, two drakes come down one that does fire AOE damage one that does shadow I believe and um, I had two uh, hunter and I think it was a hunter and uh, maybe it was two hunters that answered the call. So a guard and two hunters and no healing. Um, we uh, we did manage to complete the quest. Um, you know, it was nice to be able to use all my buffs and boosts for once before a fight started. Uh, we got the first Drake down and I ran out of cooldowns and heals and uh, about 
two-thirds of the way through the second drake, I, I went down. But you do respawn back down at the boat by the island, so you can just run up. I guess as long as someone's still alive and engaging the drakes, you can rejoin the fight without losing the quest. Um, so after I ran back uh, from that one death, uh, one of the hunters got killed while I was gone. But uh, the third one hang on, kiting a little bit, I think. And we managed to take down the Feaster Drakes without a healing class, which is uh, was a nice challenge. A lot of mobs in there, so I enjoyed it as a guardian because most of the times I scoop up as many mobs as I can find on the landscape and just bleed the heck out of them and use the you know the guardian um, bleed heal to uh, to try to last that out. So that worked pretty well. Uh, we're still changing, obviously, the normal. Uh, I think uh, doing that as a light armor class uh, would be very difficult. Um, because it seems like most, a lot of the mobs are connected and pathing, and uh, you can start a fight with three and quickly end up with nine or twelve, which I didn't panic with as a guardian, but on a mini or a lore master, forget about it. So, um, so looking forward to actually taking another class through there and, and trying to use a bit more strategy to get through it. The one thing I will say is it's too long uh, to go into the library and find the three books that they're looking for. Because library is a big place, and you got to search a whole bunch, and it means you got to burn down all the mobs, outside, then inside, and uh, for the amount of reward you get, it's too long. Uh, so that would be nice, a few less mobs, etc. So I've done some quests uh, where I've received uh, tokens for the library, the armory, the dock, the bank, the warehouse, the scholars, etc. Uh, what I haven't done so far, I even turned in some coins towards the server unlock, uh, which is um, progressing nicely. I think the the cave on Vilia is maybe uh, not quite half done, but uh, you know, maybe two-fifths done at this point, uh, getting towards 50%. And the Pass of the Dead, which is, takes slightly more tokens, is, is more like maybe a sixth uh, or a fifth done at this point. But, um, but good progress. We won't be the first server done with that, I'm sure, but uh, we shouldn't be too far behind the curve, uh, judging from the Bounder's Bounty in the past. Um, so one thing I have not looked into with the dailies yet are the rewards. Uh, I basically said, um, you know, I'll worry about that later. From comments I've heard in the chat, it leads me to believe that I'll probably want to focus on one um, area or reputation area first, if, you know, the best one to get the guard armor, if that's what I'm aiming for. So I need to take a look at the, the guard, the barterers, and see where the guard armor is and what pieces I might want and what rep I might have to work through. Uh, that seems to be left over kind of a la Hitbold a little bit. Uh, so I'll do some research on that before I get too far, but I imagine I'll want to build out rep with all the different factions, uh, at least on Bragg, probably not with any alts, but, uh, but at least for the first time through. So that should take quite a bit of effort. And then last evening, I ran into a block of time unexpectedly and finally got joined up with one of the uh, Ost Dunhoth runs that were going around. We ran in Tier 1. We had a good leader who knew the uh, instance well and was vocal. Um, first mistake, we went straight into the Wound Wing, and I was one of the guards obviously tanking the uh, Mumakil in the main room when we got there. And... Uh, you may be aware if you've done that instance that the wounds in there are pretty deadly and uh, hit my pot uh, right on time and realized that um, I'm level 100. I have level 100 pots. This is a level 100 dungeon. I should be fine, right? No, the wounds are level 103. So <laughs> this is kind of a rookie move. I should have known this uh, from, path, from the past. Usually some of the... Uh, 
some of the wounds, diseases, poisons, etc. in the game, if, if you're at level cap, they're not exactly level cap number, they're a bit above. So um, I did die. <laughs> I used my, uh, you know, my wound removal skill as a guard, but then uh, when the next one came, it wasn't down on cooldown, and I did die. Uh, but they were able to res me, and uh, we got through that instant successfully, despite my error, and I had to run out and replace all my pots with the level 105s that are available. Um, so now we've got the right pots. So uh, word of warning to those approaching 100 and looking to do level 100 content. Change out your pots. Um, then, unexpectedly, as we move through the disease wing in Ostonhoth, uh, I heard in the chat that someone got a blemished symbol of the a blemished symbol of the Elder King, and I was very excited for them. And then I uh, scrolled down through the text and realized it was me. <laughs> what do you know? I was the first one in the party to get one on the run, and I was very excited. So it'd been a while since I uh, had won a you know, top level symbol of the Elder King this early in the process. Um, so Bragg has some crafting to do, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. Uh, during the run, I also won another Second Age symbol, um, a Tomb of Fate level one, uh, plus a bunch of seals and medallions uh, for completing the deeds. I had done Ostunhoth a bunch with other characters, but with Bragg, my guard, I had only done uh, Wound and Fear before, so finishing disease and poison and then the main instance as well um, we uh, we did with pretty much no problem throughout the run a couple minor deaths here and there uh, but uh, on tier one you can focus a it's not quite tank and spank because uh, the mobs hit hard and you need to focus fire and and uh, you know watch some of the mechanics but it's not like tier two where you have to have every strat laid out and LM's gonna hit this guy with a uh, uh, you know, with a mez and keep him out of the fight. And then uh, since he has ad adapt adaptation, you know, uh, second class will hit him with a stun and, you know, we'll, we'll keep him locked down that way. You, you don't have to get to quite that level of um, of attention at this stage with people that know Austin Hoth. So it's a, it's a little more free and easy than that, but it also takes, uh, you know, still a fair degree of concentration and, uh, you know, watching your wounds and, and disease and getting your positioning right and so forth. So it was good to get back into a top level instance again. Um, you know, a major one, uh, raid level that I've not done in a while. That was fun. Winning a blemish symbol of the Elder King was the, the frosting on top of the cake. I would say overall we got maybe five symbols of the Elder King throughout the, the five different wings. A uh, bunch of second age symbols. I saw three or four of the Amphalos crystals, which are the new higher level ones. <coughs> and even a uh, relic removal scroll that somebody had won. So pretty good rewards for those. I can understand why people are running them, and Ostonhoth is a fun space. That is what I have been doing in-game, in probably more detail than you were hoping for. So let's move on to our fourth beacon. And in Eralas this week, we are going to talk a little bit about First Age Legendary Item Creation. So, luckily for me, I was able to acquire a blemished symbol of the Elder King. And I thought maybe I would trace through some of the essential steps, at least a few of them, talk about a few of the others, uh, and see how it turns out live in-game. So, this is a new experiment. First things first, going to have to log out Bragg and cut over to my weaponsmith. Talk to you in a second. Here I am back on my burglar, who also happens to be my weaponsmith. 
uh, have to ignore the class trait reset message, which I received upon login. <laughs> I've been in this tune since uh, since the new update came out. And of course, to, uh, get all the way over to a crafting facility where I can buy the new recipe. Um, believe it or not, I enjoy crafting in Galtrev. I know a lot of people hated it when it was busy and it earned the name Lagtrev. But I find now that uh, the crowd has moved on, uh, I really like the concentration of services available there. And I often do a lot of crafting there with my tunes. So uh, perhaps I'll see you there sometime. Let's go find my guildmaster so I can buy my new recipe. Boy, there are a lot of recipes for our weaponsmith uh, whenever you get to a new level cap. Um, same goes for woodworker. I remember when I was uh, buying my legendary item um, scrolls for my metalsmith, and they could only basically make um, guardian's belt, and I think it's uh, captain's emblems. Um, so there's only two to buy at each level. And so I prided myself on having every recipe that was available. And then the first time I tried to do that on my woodworker, who, um, my hunter, who's a woodworker, I started buying recipes and buying recipes and buying recipes. And I looked down at my gold, and at some point um, I spent like 200 gold on recipes, and I still hadn't gotten them all. I was like, oh, I guess you're not supposed to own all the recipes if you're in some of these other disciplines. Lesson learned. Uh, anyway, I've learned that recipe. Let's uh, head over to the vault so I can get the necessary ingredient. Okay, and so having remembered to send myself some high-end metal ingots, what do we need here? High-grade Irlandus ingots, seven legendary fragments, two emerald shards, and a partridge in a pear tree. I mean, and a blemished symbol of the Elder King. Looks like we've got everything we need, so... May the Elder King guide my hand. And we're smithing one of one. La 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 la. Inscribe item here. What do you guys inscribe on your weapons? I just do my character name and say it's a, a brand, like brag brand. Just so people know where they got it from if I give it away to somebody else. Let's send this off in a nifty mailbox message and I'll be back over on Bragg in just a second okay back we are in Bragg and I moseyed over to my vault and see what uh, uh, weapon legacies I had saved from previous decons of course uh, now that we're level 100 one of the things I have to go through is my vault get rid of all my legacies uh, that max out at level 95 for replacement on the weapon <laughs> and start storing up the ones that are on level 100. So, in any event, uh, we are now at the Forge Master for the moment of truth and I'm about to attempt what I think may be the first ever level 100 uh, weapon legacy item identification in Lotro podcast history. And I'm going to just double check. I'm not screwing anything up. Let's hit it for the uh, identify item. What do we got? <sighs> okay, so for my weapon, I'm typically a little bit more uh, flexible with the uh, legacies that I receive than I would be on my belt. My belt, I've got to have, I've got to have. Um, there are certain things I want on my legacy, on my, uh, on my weapon, um, ideally, and I'm not seeing too many of those right now, so that's not the best thing in the world. 
so what I got is vexing blow damage, uh, brutal assault damage, and bash damage. And I typically like to receive the um, the damage multipliers for my uh, for my AOE skills. Sweeping cut, uh, vexing blow is one, so that's one that I can probably use. Uh, I like to see guardian area effect melee targets. Um, so that I can multiply the number of targets I'm hitting with bleeds. Uh, sometimes I enjoy targeted melee skills range, um, guardian bleed pulses, and bleed damage uh, based on the new builds uh, when I'm soloing in red. So brutal assault damage and bash damage are not ideal for me uh, with the amount that I use those skills. They're not terrible but um, I'm gonna have to do some reforges and see what else I get and think about whether or not I want to swap those out which would be a shame because right now they're tier 4 legacies um, which is a, a decent start and if you do replacement you have to start out with level 2 which means more empowerment skulls and those things are expensive anyway let me apply an IXP ruin go through a couple reforges and I'll see how it develops Okay, we've made some progress now. Um, I was able to get uh, Guardian Bleed Damage and Guardian Bleed Pulses as minor legacies as part of my reforges, which is something I was looking for, as well as Warrior's Heart Fortitude Duration, which isn't bad for a minor legacy on a guard. Um, I did not receive any other major legacies uh, through the um, reforge process, which is unfortunate. But I did have a Crystal of Remembrance that was stowed away. I think I got as a Hobbit present. I can't remember now. So I was able to apply that and sub in uh, Guardian's Ward Duration, Guardian's Pledge Cooldown, and Guardian of Area Effect Melee Targets. So now I have seven Legacies. Unfortunately, two of them are Tier 2. We're going to have some Scrolls of Empowerment to apply down the way. But um, I've got a good set of Legacies that I feel comfortable with now. And one point I wanted to mention is that um, I did all my legacy uh, tier um, legacy replacements uh, before I got to the second set of reforges with the Forge Master, so that I have a full set of options of the legacy tiers that I want to upgrade through the upgrade process with the Forge Master. Uh, it's always important to get the legacies you want in place before you do reforges four five and six so that you have the option of upgrading um, you know the legacies that you want most on your item um, something I've screwed up in the past uh, but uh, is something to keep in mind so I'll go through all that rigmarole now okay so how am I looking well uh, we went to the skirmish camp in Dol Amroth which if you haven't found it yet is through the Harper's Court in the bottom left corner of the map I had not so I had to go find it and I got myself an Amphalos Scroll of Delving, as well as one uh, Amphalos Scroll of Empowerment. Those things are expensive. Um, let me see, what did I pay here? Um, so, for the Scroll of Delving, it was uh, 3,100 marks, 476 medallions. And the Scroll of Empowerment, 3,700 marks, 586 medallions. So, I've definitely got marks and medallions right now comfortably but if I did try to max out all my levels uh, in legacy tiers using scrolls of empowerment it would put a pretty big dent in my medallions and uh, and uh, marks level so so I'll open a hobbit present maybe I'll get one a hobbit present massive pile of copper scraps jeez what a surprise 
Okay. Um, luckily, I've got about, a, uh, as Golden Star would say, a babillion IXP runes saved up. So we're able to top those off with no problem. So right now, we've got a legendary item, which is in usable shape. Um, I've ID'd the new one. I've applied an IXP rune. I've gone through three reforges. I've applied a relic removal scroll. I've deconned my second ager. Saved a legacy I might need. I did three legacy replacements. Applied three more IXP runes. I did three more reforges before upgrading tiers. Uh, applied a scroll of delving. I did another scroll uh, reforge. I now have a scroll of empowerment to apply. Scroll of Remembrance, which I applied previously. I still need a damage modifier scroll and to reapply all three of my relics, which I've now done. I've put a crafted relic in that I had from my Metalsmith, uh, which gave me plus 50 might temporarily until I create a crafted relic for the latest highest tier in Dal Almroth. Um, now I've got to spend all my legacy points up and uh, consider whether or not moving forward I would like to imbue the item. Now you can see why some people are not excited about the legendary item system. But it is a small consolation knowing that with the new system I should be able to imbue the item at level 100 and have it grow with me going forward. And that is my first age legendary item crafting live action experiment, which I'm sure was uh, terribly boring. But uh, it was for me. I uh, hope you enjoyed it more than I did. But uh, it is a cool and shiny new weapon. Um, looking at the graphic for it that I've got to live with potentially for some time. Um, trying to, you know, the one thing I don't like is when you create a new LI and you're trying to look at it, if it's not out in your hand, uh, it's kind of tough to see because your skills are in the way. should take off my, um, take off my UI briefly. So it's not bad looking. I kind of liked some of the old ones I've had better. It's got kind of a cutout star shape, uh, star shape in the middle of it, which is sort of neat. Not the best, not the worst. I'll live with it. Um, and with that, I think it is high time we move on, especially for those who don't like the LI system, sorry, Ethelros, to our next beacon. Min Rimon, our fifth beacon. Now a word from our sponsors. First of all, I'd like to thank Layla's Barrow Downs Tour Guide Service. Why not stop and smell the flowers with Layla? Tours leaving the dead spire hourly. Don't forget your cloak. And also from Phil Gashin's Diner. Phil Gashin's, next time you're in the flaming deep, stop by Phil Gashin's Diner, open 24 hours. This week's special, mincemeat pie. Phil Gashin's, if you have to ask what's in the meat, you should be eating at a fancier place. Thank you for our sponsors. Let's move on to our sixth beacon, Callanhad. All right, for Callanhad this week, we have a slightly more intellectual study. Uh, I call it The Closet Gamer, A Study in Duality. So I wanted to talk a bit about um, about uh, gamers and how, uh, at least in my case, and I'm sure in some others, uh, I like to keep my gaming world separate from my personal life. So I'll put it this way. Um, first of all, a metaphor. I have a Facebook account for friends and a LinkedIn account for work, and never the twain shall meet. Um, I do not invite uh, work friends to be part of my Facebook account. And generally speaking, although this is a bit more lax, I don't invite friends to be part of my LinkedIn account for work unless, of course, they're uh, good networking and within my, uh, my, uh, the IT industry where I typically focus. Um, so 
why? Why keep LinkedIn and Facebook separate? Why not have uh, work colleagues also in your Facebook post? Why? Well, it's like George once said on Seinfeld. World's colliding, Jerry. World's colliding. And when that happens, boom. So a lot of you viewers out there, and I know viewers kind of a bit of a, you know, expression. Uh, I know you have Facebook accounts. Um, and I'm sure you have friends from high school, friends from college in those Facebook accounts. You know, morons. Some of these people have no common sense about posting to social media. Some of you may now even have to start worrying about your kids being on these platforms. That's another world that you may not want dabbling with your world. So I don't want Jerry from accounting knowing that I came in second place at the 19 blabbity blah beer pong championships at Falmouth College. Why? Because the next time I say, hey, Jerry, I need those figures on my desk by COB, man. I don't want him saying, uh, why is that? Got a big beer pong tournament tonight? The same principle, at least for me, applies somewhat to gaming. Uh, gaming has come a long way. It's much more widespread in our society. And it is more socially acceptable than it has ever been in my lifetime. But that does that mean that it is socially acceptable to the vast extent of the population? Not even close to being universal in my book. If you want to impress your friends or someone you just met in a social situation, when they ask you what your hobbies are, you say stuff like, Woodworking, marathon running, uh, I rodeo cattle, uh, I run 25 charities in my spare time, I'm an astronaut. You know, stuff that the majority of people would agree is worthwhile and cool. You don't say, well, as a matter of fact, I was atop the Tower of Orthanc last night, and me and my kin took down Cyramen. And get this, I won the cloak clasp to get the robe of many colors. I know, right? So cool. I mean, what follow-up questions do you expect to get to that? Uh, what ring were you assigned? Probably not. You probably get, er, okay, Bob, uh, let's move on to sports. How about those cubbies? Then you can say, speaking of cubs, I just earned a spirit bear cub in game that has a snowy mantle around his head. And the other guy will say, well, nice talking to you, Bob. Do people have gaming friends that are also friends in real life? Sure they do. Uh, I think it's great. I have a few, but not many. Most of my relationships in game are purely in game. Uh, why is that? Well, uh, I'm sure there's barriers in geography. We're playing from peop with people all over the world. Uh, sometimes I ask people what time zone they're in, but I don't generally ask them where they live, so they don't think I'm a stalker. Uh, speaking of stalkers, also a factor is fearing of knowing what someone really looks like and what kind of serial murderer they are in their spare time. Better leave well enough alone. Of course, there are exceptions to that, especially in Lotro. We are special, aren't we, in Lotro? Uh, we all think we are. We're all bound by the love of Tokian's lore, and we think that breeds within us a, a, a bit of a, you know, a step above the average MMO. Um, so I know plenty of people that have uh, real-life uh, friends that they've met in-game, and I've also heard um, through podcasts in some cases about people who have get, even gotten married or started relationships through people they met with in-game, and I think that that's great. But my point is, most people know who their gaming friends are and who they aren't. And you don't talk to your non-gaming friends about your gaming accomplishments. Uh, again, exceptions exist, and Iluvatar bless you if you are one. Right now, 
I have an excuse to say that uh, I play. Sure, I play video games. I play them with my kids. But once the kids are gone to college, uh, that excuse will be gone. So, in any event, I keep an email and a Facebook account and a Twitter account for my gaming profile to keep my worlds from colliding. Um, though Facebook seems heck bent on merging them. Every time I log into my gaming Facebook account, brags on a Balan, it asks me if I want to add friends that it finds uh, various uh, through various uh, cookies on my computer uh, that are in real life. And I said, no, I don't want. Uh, invite going out from Bragg's on a Ballon to, uh, you know, the guy down the street that I'm in the PTA with. So, um, I think there's an inherent caution about considering how my boss at work or non-gaming friends would think of me or how their opinion of my professionalism at work would change if they listened to me singing Oathbusters on my podcast. And once you cross that line and your worlds collide, there's no going back. The cat is officially out of the bag. So I keep waiting for the day when a work colleague says to me, you know, I know your voice from somewhere. I just can't place it, but it'll, it'll come to me, I know. And I say something like, well, maybe this will help. Transfer leadership to me, you noob. You don't even understand basic loot rules. And he goes, ah, oh, that's where I know you from. So at the core, the crux of it is, am I ashamed of my gaming I, not really. I, I don't know. Sometimes, maybe. It depends on who I'm talking to. Depends on the situation. I'm not going to brag, pun intended, about my gaming to my father-in-law. <laughs> Does that make me two-faced? I don't know. You be the judge. Gaming can be selfish because it normally has very few tangible rewards outside of the game itself. Uh, like many hobbies. So balance is needed. What it's a little bit different is uh, everyone should have time to themselves to do the things they love but gaming does have a bit of an insidious ability to enlarge that time commitment beyond your initial plans because they're so dang cool and fun to play Um, having some degree and MMOs are certainly guilty of this more so than even the average video game Um, but having some degree of anonymity allows me the freedom to go outside of my comfort zone be creative and silly and not worry about professional or even real-life social consequences. Some people use that anonymity for evil, (laughs) but I'd like to think that some of us use it for the freedom to be a kid again and have fun, to escape the care of our real lives and be a completely different person who maybe his biggest issue that day is drumming enough enough maintenance dues for their kin house or the fact that they don't have enough shadow mitigation to uh, to really run dark delvings. And getting away from all that and worrying about game stuff like that, isn't that a worthwhile thing to do with your spare time after all? You be the judge. So I think interesting topic. There's my initial take on it. Let me know what you think. Love to have a dialogue on this one. I think it's uh, an issue that has legs. And that, and my legs are short, being a dwarf, of course. So that brings us to Halifedrian. The end of the 11th episode of Light the Beacons. So my apologies to Lindsey Buckingham. We didn't have time to hear from him this time. (laughs) But I'm hoping he can join us for the next show. Lindsey, don't be mad. Don't be mad, Lindsey. I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. Brag with two A's. The second A stands for Avorum. 
uh, on Facebook or Twitter at Bragson of Ballon or my website, lightthebeacons.com, where you can post comments directly on the podcasts. I kindly request you take the time to create an iTunes review if perchance you are so inclined. I would very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forego my apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So, I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your time this week in Middle-earth. This is Bragg, son of balance, signing off. Baruch Kazad! And remember, when the chips are down and you're stunned in the final fight of the foundry with a red eyeball blinking over your head, don't despair. Light those beacons. <laughs>